0: We come this Sunday to our final episode of Paul's instruction to Timothy, his young protege. He has given instructions and repeated them several times in the course of these two letters, and we have benefited from hearing and applying His counsel to ourselves. We have amended our schedule to accommodate next week's call weekend. And although you have heard it previously, just as a reminder, at the conclusion of the sermon during our offertory time, we will come forward to place our pledge cards in these baskets indicating our promises. Now, I should perhaps say that these are promises that can be altered. So, um, if you make a, a, a pledge of a certain amount, you can alter that, amend that up or down at any point during the course of the year. Uh, without feeling guilty about it. So uh, this is for the benefit of our stewardship committee. It's a tremendous help to know about what the congregation is going to be giving as they make their plans. Here in this concluding section of Paul's final letter to Timothy, it is though Paul is intent on seeing beyond this present world, into the world to come, into what lies beyond. As he anticipates what will be, the vast vista of heaven seems to open before him contrasting what he calls this present world. He is caught in a kind of in-between world, as it were. He describes his circumstances as a drink offering, a libation, he calls it. We'll see that in a few moments, but for now, this libation offering is first seen in Genesis, chapter 35, verse 14, as Jacob pours wine and oil onto a stone pillar he has erected for worship. Such a sacrifice became a part of the religious law and their typical practice. Here, Paul says his very life is being poured out. This image is particularly telling in that just as what is being poured out exists simultaneously both in the vessel from which it is being poured and upon the altar upon which it is poured. And Paul says, that's like my life. I exist here and now in this world, but there's a part of me that is already there. Paul sees himself existing in these two places, in the present world and in the world that lies beyond. He is very much aware that Timothy's Focus, however, must be on the here and now, at least the here and now as Timothy experienced it. Once again, he lists for his, quote, true son in the ministry what will be of significance to him. And to underscore how important this is, he frames it like this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you. You get it? There's no mistaking his emphasis in the strongest language. He can use, Paul urges Timothy to proclaim the message, to be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, to convince, to rebuke, to encourage with the utmost patience and teaching. In verse five, he continues, be sober in everything, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully, he says. Well, he doesn't specify what all of that is, but we've heard enough to take it seriously in our own lives Haven't we? But then Paul shifts his focus from the present world to the world to come. Listen to how he does this. As for me, he says, I'm already being poured out as a libation and the time of my departure has come. Notice there's no tone of regret or fear or apprehension in what he says. Imagine yourself sitting at the gate of an airport. You've bought your ticket, you're ready to board the flight, you're just waiting for them to call the flight number. And as you sit, you're on the phone, you're talking to your best buddy. And as you talk, you hear over the speaker boarding for flight number 1262 or whatever. And you know that's your flight. And you say, "Uh, hey, listen, I've got to go. They've just called my flight. With no more apprehension than that, Paul says, I've got to go. They've just called my flight. Any minute, I will board. I'll have to hang up. And the time of my departure is now. It's come. That's what faith does for us. That's what it did for him. It takes the fear out of death for we know that it's only a transition a transition from this present world to what lies beyond paul has no regrets i have fought the good fight he says he's done battle with the forces of the evil one he has often been wounded, but never defeated. No wonder he can say to Timothy, what you have seen in me, do that. I dare say there aren't many of us who have that kind of confidence in how we've lived, that we could say to someone, do what I do. Paul could. He goes on. I have fought the good fight, he says. Yes, yes, we see that. Go, go on, he continues. I have finished the race. This race has not been a hundred-yard dash, but a marathon. The course is marked for the runners so they can stay on track. Now the finish line is finally in sight. And he can say, I have finished the race. It was often drooling, sometimes exhausting, always requiring maximum effort. But I have finished. Our daughter-in-law, Emily, is a runner. She has run a couple of marathons, several half marathons, and a few triathlons. That's about the only thing I can hold against her. If you ever hear that I had a heart attack while jogging, I want you to find out who was chasing me. (laughs) Because it would not have been a voluntary activity. But Paul has completed the race course set out for him. So what is the course outlined for you? Each of us has a different course, of course. Here's Stu Crow, who at age 91 is still on the course, continuing his assignment of teaching Sunday school. He has slowed down some, he's invited other teachers to take their turns in the teaching schedule, but he's still running his race. Recently I was standing with several friends and someone asked me, have you retired? And before I could answer, one of my other friends spoke up and said, ministers don't retire, they just get reassigned. So Stu may be looking to be reassigned at some point, but knowing him, he's not going to be retiring. But we've all been blessed by what he does. And of course, I can as easily speak to any number of you or about any number of you, for you have been faithful. I commend you. Maybe reassignment is what happens. I'm rather looking forward to the time when I can be reassigned, uh, maybe even re-retire. Now let me say here as an aside, you could not possibly have made my time as your interim pastor any more enjoyable. You've been terrific in every respect and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know that some of you have thought that we should be having two services every Sunday And though you held this opinion firmly, you did not make it a matter of your attendance or your faithful service in getting your own way or doing what you thought should be done. And I want you to know how much I appreciate and admire that kind of service. During this interim period, it just seemed that this was a solution that would keep us energized together, meeting as one. And what we do in the future will be a to us as we sense the leadership and the guidance of the Lord. Now, having said that, because that's been on my heart for some time, I'm going to set that aside and go on with the sermon, okay? Okay. I will say <clears throat> that this race has been run and I think is about to end and I'm all for it. <laughs> Praise be to God. At this point we can almost hear the infomercial, the infomercial voice of Billy Mays. Remember him? Paul said I've Fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And we hear this voice, but wait, there's more. Indeed, there is. Paul concludes I have kept the faith. In spite of beatings and shipwrecks and snake bites, lying enemies and deserting colleagues, he has kept the faith. In spite of the fact that Paul still, quote, sees through a glass darkly, end quote. In spite of the fact that he still relies upon faith, not proof to see what lies beyond, he has kept the faith. This is the kind of faith Christ followers through the ages have had as well. It is the kind of faith we in this room have. It is a faith that will not let go of us and of which we will not let go. It's a kind of, of faith the ancient Saint Polycarp had. He died Almost a 100 years after Paul, he was the pastor of the church of Smyrna, and evidence is that he was a disciple of John, the disciple of Jesus. He had gained such a reputation for his faith and good works that he was hunted by the Roman authorities, and when found was sentenced to death in the arena by wild animals. But before the sentence was carried out, Polycarp was called to appear before the Roman senator, Lucius Stratius Quadraticus, on Saturdays, February 22nd or 23rd, in the year 155 or 156. We're not sure. And encouraged to renounce his faith, but he refused. And one account says after he refused, the senator said pleadingly, in respect to your years then, just say you renounced your faith and I will release you again. Polycarp refused and expressed no fear of the wild animals he was to face. Lucius, taken aback, then said, In that case, I will have you burned. To which Polycarp replied, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. So Lucius had him burned at the stake. Now, I tell you this only to point out that from those early years right up to this present moment, we Christ followers have fought a good fight. We have finished what was laid out for us, and we have kept the faith. But one final time in this letter, Paul contrasts the present world with the world that lies beyond, when in verse 10, he says, Demas, in love with this present world, has forsaken me and gone to Thessalonica. How tragic to be so in love with what is that we forfeit what lies beyond.